Welcome to Central Study Hour at Sacramento Central Seventh-day Adventist Church. Wherever you are and however you are joining us, we're so glad you're here. I hope you have your hymnals out because we have some wonderful songs to brighten your spirits and wake up your souls this morning. You know, we hear of war and battles and conflicts in the East and in the Global South, but there's no greater battle than the one for our souls, yes? The Bible says that we should put on the full armor of God that we may stand. And our first song this morning talks about that. Sound the battle cry. Hymn 614, it says, rouse then soldiers, let's rally around the banner. We'll sing the first and third verse. And thanks to Martha Williams from Los Angeles, California, and Manuel Sebastian Rios from Palopan, Mexico, we'll be singing the song this morning. Hymn 614, sound the battle cry. Until then, uh, this comes as a request from Hope Beale in Sacramento, California, right here. Thank you, Hope. Uh, for 632, let's sing the first and second verse.
Now, although we're girding our armor on, ready to prepare for battle, we still have a song to sing until Jesus comes. Amen. If you have a special request, please visit us at our website at sexcentral.org. Click on the contact us link, tell us where you're from, choose any song from in the hymnal, and we'll be happy to sing it with you. Our next song comes from our topical index titled Love for One Another. Uh, hymn 585 is called When Christ Was Lifted from the Earth. It's a wonderful um, short song with four verses, but it's very simple. It talks about how God came to this earth to show us love, yes? So as Christ loved us, we should love one another. Let's sing all four verses of hymn 585, When Christ Was Lifted from the Earth. worshiping, um, hoping to, to see a glimpse of your love and share that with others. Um, we thank you for giving us your full armor, allowing us to put it on. Though we are hard pressed on every side, we're not crushed. Though we're perplexed, we're not in despair. Though we're persecuted, we're not forsaken. And we may be struck down, but we're not out. Why? Because you have given us faith and, and peace your love, and most of all, Lord, salvation. You've given us your blessed hope that we can sing until you come again, that we can continue praying, that we can continue worshiping. So, Lord, as we study this morning, we invite you to be with us and to be with Pastor Chris. In your holy name we pray. Our study this morning will be brought to us by Pastor Chris. 
our senior pastor at Sac Central Church. Thank you, choristers. Yeah, they do such a wonderful job, don't they? Thank you so much. We, uh, we get emails in every now and then just saying how much uh, folk appreciate the harmony, the songs that are chosen. So God bless you guys. Much appreciated. And good morning to each one of you. Good to see you and a happy Sabbath to you as well. And to those that are joining us, glad that you are doing so as well. Don't forget, um, we want to encourage you to call in for your free offer, and I'm going to give that to you. It's offer number 21507. And for those in North American territories, you just need to call 916-457-6511 or email us at csh at saccentral.org. We'd be happy to send uh, to you uh, our free offer uh, for today's study. And uh, we, we want to give a shout out to a few people here that are tuning in. These individuals join us basically every week live streaming. Uh, this is Irene. She sends her greetings from Wyoming. Greetings, Irene. Uh, Ed, he's, uh, now this is not fair. You're, you're, uh, you're checking us out from Hawaii. And so we welcome you, Ed. And then Linda uh, from Maine. And then Doris uh, all the way from Pennsylvania, Doris. We spent seven years in Pennsylvania. Beautiful state, beautiful people. And uh, so thank you. Glad you guys are tuning in. We uh, also got a note, and I wanted to share this with, uh, uh, with our congregation here. This is from Margarita. She says, thank you so much that you have continued to send the beautiful study hours. She's talking about Central Study Hour. They are a blessing for me and my sisters and brothers in faith at Skara, Skara Seventh-day Adventist Church in Sweden. Uh, a very small church we hope will grow, and she's asking us to pray for the Skara Seventh-day Adventist Church. I look forward to meeting you all in the wonderful place our Lord and Savior is preparing for us in our Father's home. God bless all of you and the new year that just begun, that we may all walk in the steps of Christ. So, Margarita, thank you so much for writing in. What a blessing to know that folk are just tuning in from everywhere, uh, yes, even Hawaii, um, uh, to watch these studies. We're so thrilled. And if you are enjoying the lessons, uh, let us know where you're uh, watching from. We'd love to hear from you. Let us know how you're enjoying the programs. Well, we're going right into our next lesson. It's lesson number seven. And uh, in our study guide, this quarter's study guide, dealing with fights. And so I hope you've got your study lesson open, but more importantly, you've got your Bibles open because we're going to be uh, getting stuck into the Scriptures again here today. The memory text is Proverbs 17, and we're going to be looking at Proverbs 17, 18, and 19 today. And uh, just to be very honest, we, we can't cover every single verse. There's so much to cover in just in these three chapters, but we're looking at certain themes, certain ideas that stand out that are repeated in these chapters, and that's what we're going to be uh, studying here. So Proverbs chapter 17, verse 1, and this is what it says, better is a dry morsel with quietness than a house full of feasting with what? Strife. Strife. And uh, we will talk a little bit more about that as we move along. Uh, when you think of, when you think, if I were to mention to you the McCoys and the Hatfields, what comes to your mind? Feud. <laughs> Someone said war, strife, yeah, fights, that's exactly right. 
The name has become, the names have become synonymous with bitterly feuding rival parties. For nearly 30 years, from 1863 to 1891, these two families of West, the West Virginia, Kentucky area along the Tug Fork of the Big Sandy River, they strove and fight, fought and even killed to settle the score. Uh, interestingly, it said that the ongoing struggle, does anyone know what the ongoing struggle was actually about? Do you know? I mean, there's been variations of it, but just recently they've been, they've been suggesting that the, the, the beginning of the feud uh, centered around a pig. Uh, more so, the, who owned the pig? Was it the McCoys or was it the Hatfields? Uh, the McCoys claimed that the certain notchings in the ears of the pigs were the McCoys' um, markings, not the Hatfields. And uh, so the matter was taken to a local justice of the peace who was, interestingly enough, a Hatfield. And curiously enough, he ruled in favour of his family, based on the testimony of a relative of both families. Sadly, the two, uh, two McCoy brothers killed the testifier and were later acquitted on the grounds of self-defence. Interesting. But how much trouble comes to a relationship when possessions are put before people? And uh, this is kind of a, an underlying theme throughout our study this week in Proverbs 17 to 19, putting things, uh, possessions before people. Uh, fights come because people are putting money, possessions before the other, the other person. According to a booklet entitled Making Marriage Last, which interestingly is published by the American Academy of Matrimonial Lawyers, Problems, they say problems, it says in that little book, problems relating to financial matters are a major reason why marriages break down. Uh, when, think about just for a moment, you may know some families, uh, hopefully you're not a part of the families, but mum passes away, dad passes away, and then you have sibling uh, rivalry, children vying for the biggest piece of the pie. Um, they're not so much concerned that mum and dad, okay, mum and dad are dead and we're sorry about that, but man, look at all the stuff they left us, so I want to make sure I get my hands on, you know, the pool table, or I want to get my hands on that particular piece of chinaware, or, and then the squabbles begin over what? Stuff, over stuff. Um, consider for a moment our opening text, Proverbs chapter 17 and verse 1. Now, in Proverbs chapter 17, um, Proverbs 17 comes in... Uh, couplets, and they're composed of two verses. Uh, each couplet, um, or the first verse in the couplet, mirrors the thought of the second verse. So, look at Proverbs chapter 17, verse 2 with me, and notice it says, a wise servant will rule over a son who causes shame and will share an inheritance among the brothers. So, this talks about a servant who potentially will inherit the wealth of a family. And that thought mirrors verse 1. Notice verse 1 again. Better is a dry morsel with quietness than a house full of feasting with strife. What is the point? The point is that possibly the stranger, maybe even a lawyer, could end up with much of the wealth of the siblings when the siblings continue to uh, duke it out for the greatest piece of the pie. And so you see... Um, you see what the issue here is in, in Proverbs chapter 17, verses 1 and 2, but you've got the second verse mirroring the first verse, vice versa. They help us understand a little bit more about what the wise man's talking about. 
What we learn from this week's lesson is that peaceful friendships, and I like the way the author put it in the study, peaceful friendships are more important than wealth. Peaceful friendships, peaceful relationships are far more important than wealth. What truly matters in the end is not how much we have, but who we are in Christ, our characters. You know, um, as a pastor, I do uh, many funerals, and um, you never... Uh, when you're going, you're performing the memorial uh, service or the, the funeral service, folks stand up, they never talk about how much the person possessed or how much they had. They talk about the, the type of person they were. And in the end, that's all that really matters. What type of person are you? What type of person am I? This lesson really is about organizing our priorities, organizing uh, and figuring out what's most important. Um, and, interestingly enough, the effect good priorities have upon our relationships. So, again, if I'm putting possessions before people, then, uh, you know, they're going to get into some fisticuffs and you're going to get into some squabbles unnecessarily and then uh, it ends up affecting the relationship. And so, this is what we, we, we basically gather here in, uh, in these three chapters, Proverbs 17, 18, and 19. Just to give you a quick overview of the three chapters, Proverbs 17 uh, uh, can be divided into three sections. Um, verses 1 through 10 speaks uh, about good words that build relationships. And then Proverbs uh, 11, sorry, 17 verses 11 through 22 talks about evil words that destroy relationships. And then the third section in, Revel in Revelation, where am I going? Proverbs chapter 17, the third section is the cause of the evil words. And interestingly, when you read in Proverbs, the cause has to do again with possessions, with stuff and people wanting to acquire more than probably they ought to have or, uh, or demanding that, they, uh, that their rights shouldn't be violated uh, and it causes problems. So that's chapter 17, that's the basic overview. Then chapter 18 can basically be, be divided into two sections, um, a description of the lives of both the wise and the foolish, and then the secret of finding true wealth. And of course, the idea being that we find true wealth in relationships. Uh, with, if you have a friend that sticks closer than a brother, there can't be anything better than that. Um, and so true wealth comes in relationships. And then chapter 19 basically contrasts the behavior of the wise and the foolish with, of course, the goal of encouraging us to seek wisdom. And that's the theme. That theme is, it runs all the way through Proverbs. Um, the contrast between those who make silly decisions, the fool, foolish, and those who make wise, good decisions. And so we can't deal with all the intricacies of that in this week as we review it, but uh, we're going to uh, highlight some of the, the, the major ideas that are shared and uh, we're going to start with Sunday's lesson with sin and friends. Sin and friends. Let's take a look at Proverbs chapter 17 and we're going to look at a couple of verses. Uh, we're going to look at verse 9 and then we're going to jump over to Revel uh, Proverbs 19 verse 11. Proverbs chapter 19 verse 11. So let's start with Proverbs 17 and verse 9 and uh, the question here is what is the point that is being made in these texts? What point is being made in these particular texts? Proverbs 17 verse 9, it says, He who covers a transgression seeks love. He who covers a transgression seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates friends. Now go over to chapter 19 and verse 11. Let's take a look at that. Proverbs 19 verse 11, it says, The discretion of a man makes him slow to anger, 
and His glory is to overlook a transgression. All right, so what's the main point being made here? What's the main, the main theme here in these two verses? What point's being made? Say that. Forgiveness, okay, yes. Yeah, very good. Uh, the, uh, what I read here is don't hurt a person by telling others about their faults, their failings, their shortcomings, or their sins, because that's a sure way to ruin friendships and relationships. Love covers a multitude of sin. Um, you notice also it was talking about spreading, uh, sharing some stuff with others. Uh, what's another word we could use for that? Gossip. Wow, yeah, okay, we need yeah, gossiping, yeah. Uh, and the Bible doesn't speak well of the type of talking of others that is done to belittle, demonize, demoralize, cause pain, or even tarnish another person's reputation. Um, even if it's not intentional, we need to be careful about what we allow to come out of our mouths. Here's just a few verses for us that we'll look at this morning regarding gossiping, not speaking well of others. Someone has Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 2. Thanks, Michael. Yeah, wonderful. Thank you. All right, Proverbs 16, 28. Just going to read a few before we get to Proverbs 10, 10 12. Proverbs 16, 28. Notice what the wise man says. He says, a perverse man sows strife and a whisperer separates the best of friends. Interesting. Why would, a, why would a man sow strife? Maybe because of jealousy, because of envy? He doesn't like what's happening in that relationship. He's jealous of the closeness that's exhibited. So, a perverse man sows strife, a whisperer, separates the best of friends. First Timothy chapter 5 and verse 13, and besides, they learn, talking of these individuals, they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house, not only with... And not only idle, but also gossips and busybodies saying things which they ought not. And then in Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 8, the wise man says, The words of a talebearer are as wounds, and they go down into the innermost parts of the belly. It hurts. Someone said, Gossip is the most deadly microbe. It has neither legs nor wings. It is composed entirely of tails, and most of them with stings. And that's gossip. Proverbs 10, verse 12. Hatred stirreth up strifes, but love covereth all sins. All right. I'm just focusing a little bit on the first part there. What does hatred do? Stirs strife. Stirs strife. Uh, who was the first person in the universe who stirred up strife? Satan. It was Lucifer, the covering cherub, right? Uh, way back there in heaven, who knows when, but it happened. And, uh, and he stirred up a whole bunch of strife. What was his motivation, his modus operandi? He was seeking to become like God. He wanted the place and prerogatives of God, right? And in order to get that, he undermined God's character. He started to sow discord. Uh, there was, he trafficked um, false rumors and um, things about God, things that weren't true. And so I would suggest here this morning that anyone who hops on the bagwagon of gossiping or even begins gossip is just simply following after the, uh, the enemy and uh, are following in his footsteps. And I don't think anyone here wants to be walking in the footsteps of Satan. I don't think so. Uh, the Bible says in Ezekiel chapter 28, verse 18, by the iniquity of his traffic, he trafficked false concepts of God. Kind of reminds me of Absalom when he was seeking to take the place of his father, King David. And he stood at the gate, and what was he doing? 
He was undermining his father's leadership. You know, if, um, you know, if I was given the opportunity to do what he uh, had done, I probably would have made a different decision. But you know, that's okay. He made that decision and we'll live with it. And then the next time he talked to the person, you know, if I, if I were that person, I probably would have done X, Y, and Z. And if I were in that position, it would have probably turned out a little bit better. And then it continues, continues to snowball to the extent that uh, he ended up just talking negatively about his father. And he won confidence. He didn't start out just uh, 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 diminishing his, his father's rulership and his leadership. He didn't start out just attacking his father. He started subtly. And that's how Lucifer started. And that's how gossip starts. You know, <laughs> gossip even starts in prayer meetings. Oh, let's, uh, brothers and sisters, let's be praying for so-and-so. Oh, what, why, 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 why? What's going on? Well, I don't want to tell you, but uh, God knows. But if you're really insisting, uh, let, me, uh, let me just share with you and then someone just can't help themselves and off they go and they tell their story and that story then begins to spread. You know, the uh, Christian grapevines are pretty short vine. Before, before, before you know it, everyone knows about it, knows about your business. Um, there's several other texts, we won't look at them, but just for reference sake, Romans chapter 1 verse 29, 2 Corinthians 12 20, and 3 John chapter 1 verse 10 also talk about the negatives regarding gossiping. Um, you know, that, that borders slandering uh, as well. Um, all right, so the basis of gossiping is empowering one person while disempowering the other. That's basically it. Social media has made it very easy also for us to uh, spread uh, gossip and even lies. Um, you know, someone suggested, and I think it's true, gossiping and bullying, because we hear a lot about bullying today, gossiping and bullying go very close together, don't they? Um, someone's really seeking gossip, basically seeks to hurt the other person. Uh, however, the Bible suggests, and the wise and the righteous follow another course of action. They don't listen to gossip, and it stops with them. What, you going to share that with me? No, no. Don't want to hear it? Don't want to know about it? stops right here. And that's the attitude we ought to have. Let's uh, take a look also. They're concerned about the faults and failings of others. They're not, they're not going to share them. They're concerned about the person. Look at James chapter 5. Let's run over there. James chapter 5 and verse 20. And uh, we'll look at also 1 Peter 4, 8. James chapter 5 and verse 20. When we're talking about gossiping, it reminds me of a story about three pastors that came together and uh, they decided to, uh, to lift each other's burdens and, um, and to, to encourage one another. And so they encouraged each other to share their biggest struggle that they had. And uh, the first pastor told the, 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 the threesome, he said, you know, I haven't told anyone this, but I, I, have, a, I have a problem with gambling. I have a serious problem with gambling, and so please pray for me, help me, give me advice. We'll do that, certainly. The second pastor uh, suggested he had an issue with drinking, and, uh, and so he, he asked them to pray for him. And then the third pastor said, you know, um, I, I just don't want to tell you what my problem is, what my vice is, but, but please pray for me because I have a problem with gossiping. And uh, what you've shared with me here today, I, I just have to tell others. Um, not a true story. It's okay. 
But gossiping certainly does harm, there's no doubt about that. James chapter 5 and verse 20, notice what it says, Let him who know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death, and what will he do? Cover a multitude of sins. Now, God's people aren't interested in just, poo, just sharing the, the juicy details with others. They're interested in saving a person who's hurt themselves or hurt others. All right, First Peter, just go back a chapter, a book rather, First Peter, or go forward rather, First Peter chapter 4 and verse 8. Notice what it says. And I, Ray, you've got a question related to this, so we're going to come to you in just a moment. First Peter chapter 4 and verse 8, it says, And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. That's right. This uh, Peter is quoting, do you know where he's quoting from? Proverbs. We just read that in Proverbs earlier, didn't we? Um, and so, we love others not because they're perfect, we love others in spite of their faults. Friends, family members, deal kindly and carefully with those who've fallen. Just like a parent who cares for and treats their child who's grazed their knee or their elbow uh, and they're hurt. God's children, God's people, will care for one another kindly, affectionately, and cover a multitude of sin. Not spread it, not share it, but seek to help that person and encourage that person. Um, Ray, you've got, you got a question. Yes, I have a question, Pastor. Mm -hmm. What is the difference between saying something negative to others about someone that hurts their reputation and what Jesus did when he told the disciples, hey, stay away from those Pharisees because of their hypocrisy. It, it almost seems to me like maybe Jesus was gossiping. What do you say, Pastor? Is, okay. Is that something? Fair, fair question. Fair question because some, some do assert that uh, when a person is perhaps warning a person of something, that, uh, that perhaps they're just spreading rumors, another form, a method of gossiping, perhaps. I think the difference is in motivation and, 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 uh, and matter. The difference in this scenario would be in motivation and matter. Um, Jesus didn't say something to harm or belittle an individual. He said something to save and to salvage. Uh, there's no doubt about that. The issues that Jesus dealt with were issues of matters, they were matters of life and death. If I told you, um, look, brother, don't go ride with Fred in his car because Fred is a dangerous, dangerous driver. Am I spreading rumors? Gossiping? <laughs> what am I trying to do? I'm, I'm, I'm trying to protect your life. Yeah, I'm not, I have no intention of spreading false things about Fred, but I've driven with Fred and Fred is a horrible driver. If there's a Fred here today, I'm sorry, but I'm not talking about you. Um, Fred's a horrible driver. I, I would not like to see you get hurt when you drive with Fred. So this is what Jesus did. Jesus was warning people about the Pharisees, their attitudes and their practices, because if they were, if they were mimicked, if they were uh, duplicated in the lives of the disciples, they'd end up being lost, because the Pharisees were in a lost condition. So Jesus was truly warning, not uh, spreading false rumors or gossiping. So I hope that helps. Good question. Let's go over to Monday's lesson, be just. Let's follow the thought here about love covering a multitude of sin. Love covering a multitude of sin. Is love blind? Is love blind? Because love covers someone's sin, does that mean it pretends the sin doesn't exist? 
Now, we need to remember that love never negates the practice of justice. Uh, the, the lesson bore this out, and it's interesting that the word justice in the Hebrew, zedek, also means charity or love. Isn't that interesting? So, one cannot rightly love without justice, and one cannot truly be, truly, uh, be just unless they love. The two are very intimately involved there. Although God commands that we care for the poor, and you can read about that in Deuteronomy, in Exodus chapter 23, it's interesting that we're, not, we're called to not show partiality toward the poor. So, if a poor person has done something wrong just because they're poor doesn't mean that they shouldn't be held accountable. You see the idea. So, love and justice are inseparable. Love leads us to help the poor, but it would be unjust if we were to favor them because of a wrong that they had done. And I'm not highlighting the poor just for the poor's sake, but um, we, just as an illustration and as an example, the blending of love and justice um, it, it can be seen all throughout, um, all throughout the Bible, especially in the book of Proverbs. Um, so, love never pretends never pretends a wrong doesn't exist, especially when that wrong is going to hurt the perpetrator or if that wrong is going to hurt others. Um, what type of parent would I be if I never corrected my child, if my child did the wrong thing or was doing the wrong thing? Yeah, I'd be doomed, yeah, my children would be too. I'd be a horrible parent if I never corrected my children, if I never tried to keep them on the, the straight and narrow way, you see. Proverbs 17.10, let's take a look at what it says there. Proverbs chapter 17, verse 10, we're still there in Proverbs 17. Notice what it says here. Rebuke is more effective for a wise man than a hundred blows on a fool. Now, notice that this verse comes, it follows verse 9, where it talks about love covering sin or transgression. But notice the following verse, rebuke is more effective for a wise man than a hundred blows on a fool. Um, and uh, so, it mentions both of these verses together, verses 9 and 10, these are mentioned together, to put love in, the, in a right and proper perspective. Uh, go over to chapter 19 and verse 25. 19 and verse 25. Notice what the wise man says there. Strike a scoffer and the simple will become wary. Rebuke one who has understanding and he will discern knowledge. So, to, when, when the Bible talks about love covering a multitude of sin, it doesn't ignore um, the, 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 the violation, the sin. It doesn't pretend it's not there. As a matter of fact, if you're a true friend, you'll address the issue to, uh, to your friend. If you're, uh, if you're truly love, you're going to help that person to see, if they don't see the wrong, uh, help them see that they did wrong and help, help them in, as they make that correction, you see. Um, several other verses we'll look at here. Um, someone has Hebrews 12, verses 5 through 7. Hebrews 5. 12 through 7. Oh, right here. Okay, wonderful. Okay, we'll get over to you in just a moment. Uh, Proverbs 27, verse 5. Notice what it says here. Open rebuke is better than love carefully concealed. So, it's, open rebuke toward a friend is better than just pretending like you love a person or concealing that love you have for a person. Open rebuke is better than love concealed. Proverbs 29, verse 15. The rod and rebuke give wisdom. But a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. And I would add father, but it brings, he brings shame. Uh, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 through 7. And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, 
God deals with you as with sons. What son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? Okay. Just asking the same question I asked earlier. What type of father would I be? What type of mother would Jen be if we didn't discipline or correct our children? You know, God treats us the same way. God doesn't mind rebuking us, even if it may offend us from time to time. What's the purpose of correction? To correct us, right? Uh, what's the issues? What issues are at stake? Life and death. Eternal, eternal issues are at stake. So God's not going to uh, hold back if, if, if we've done something wrong. He, does He love us? Yes. Does He chasten us, discipline us if we've done something? Yes. Why? Because love does that. Love doesn't um, uh, lead the offender to think that they can sin or transgress um, uh, without consequences. doesn't do that. Some people uh, use the word love to excuse their pampering. Some parents do for their child, empowering them to continue to do the wrong thing because love would never correct. Love would never hold anyone accountable, but love does. That's how God deals. When you think about the Scriptures, do the, do the Scriptures offer rebuke? Uh, reproof, yeah. Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, what does it say? All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for reproof. That's the first thing. And why, why the reproof? So that we might be corrected and instructed in the way of righteousness, which leads to everlasting life, you see. Uh, do we have a biblical example of the proper blending of love and justice? Do we have a biblical example? <clears throat> the lesson takes us to a familiar story in John chapter 8, so I'd like to invite you to go over there with me. Do we have a biblical example of the proper blending of love and justice? We do, and His name is Jesus. John chapter 8, you remember the story. Let's read it together and, uh, and take a look at how Jesus dealt with this situation. John chapter 8, verses 1 and on. Now, Jesus, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Now, early in the morning, He came again into the temple, and all the people came to Him, and He sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery, and when they had set her in the midst, they said to her, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned, but what do you say? Of course, they were trying to trip him up and trick him here. Now Moses, uh, that's verse 6, 5, verse 6, This they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest even to the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. And when Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? So she said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. And Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light <clears throat> of life. Did Jesus cover her sin? <laughs> yes and no. He protected her, didn't he, from, from those who were seeking to accuse her. Was she, uh, uh, could, would, would their accusation have been justified? Yeah. But he sought to protect her and defend her 
But did he soften what she did? No. What did, he, what did he tell her? I forgive you, go and sin no more. I'm letting you know you sinned. You sinned grossly. But I'm forgiving you and I'm setting you free. Go and do it no more. Don't do that thing again. In the book Desire of Ages, page 462, Ellen White comments on the story, and it's a, it's a beautiful story of redemption, a beautiful story of forgiveness, of empowerment, uh, grace, the grace of God. She says, in his act, Jesus' act of pardoning this woman and encouraging her to live a better life, the character of Jesus shines forth in the beauty of perfect righteousness. While he does not palliate sin, nor lessen the sense of guilt, he seeks not to condemn, but to do what? Save. And that's, that's the issue. I can't, you know, a doctor can't help a person unless a person comes to see the doctor. A person can't be helped unless they admit that they've got a, a disease or a problem and the doctor can then prescribe them uh, certain ways in which they can feel better or get over the problem they have. You have to first confess, first own up, you see, uh, and then you can help. And so Jesus, Jesus doesn't ignore the problem. He addresses it and he expects individuals to uh, own up, admit. But he doesn't seek to have us admit it so he can condemn us and say, Ha, I told you. He has us admit it so he can save us. You've done that. You admitted to it. I forgive you. It's okay. I forgive you, but don't go and do it anymore. And I'm going to give you grace to help you not go do it anymore. So she goes on to say, the world had for this erring woman only contempt and scorn. But Jesus speaks words of comfort and hope. Comfort and hope. The sinless one pities the weakness of the sinner and reaches to her a helping hand. While the hypocritical Pharisee denounced, Jesus bids her go and sin no more. A, a perfect blending of love and justice. Now, you think, as a parent, you know, I read this and I think about my, my dealings with my children. And even in correction, sometimes we can be a little, little too firm and, uh, and, uh, and uh, not offer uh, our sympathy um, and, and some grace. Uh, but here we see in Jesus the perfect blending. Yeah, you did the wrong thing, but it's okay. I forgive you, but don't go do it again. Don't go do it again. Even in our interaction with one another, someone does something that some, says something about you or says something to you and it offends you. We have a model in Jesus, don't we? And how to respond and how to treat one another. Um, more could be said, but let's go to Tuesday's lesson. Let's go to Tuesday's lesson. So love and justice are married, always married together. Let's go to Tuesday. We're going to talk about words again. Uh, remember, the mouth is the outlet of the mind. Whatever's in your heart, whatever's in your mind, that's what you, what you say. Uh, the book of Proverbs is very concerned about what we say, what comes out of our mouth. Um, it was highlighted in a previous lesson that the word mouth is mentioned 50 times in Proverbs, lips are mentioned 41 times, and the tongue is mentioned 19 times. So it's an important matter. So Proverbs chapter 18 that's where we are. We've gone from 17 now, we're over to 18. Proverbs 18 talks about our words 10 times. I'm just going to give you the verses. We won't read them together. But here they are. Verse 2, verse 4, verses 6 through 8, verse 13, 17, 20, 21, and 23. 
And so there that mentions uh, our words because God is concerned with our words. Uh, in a study that, uh, that, the, that Harvard, uh, Harvard University did, uh, it showed that ridicule, disdain, humiliation, taunting, all cause injury, and when it is delivered in childhood from a child's peer, that's, the, that's one of the keys, it's, uh, uh, this abuse is given by a peer, verbal abuse causes more than just emotional trauma, the study showed that it inflicts lasting damage on the brain structure. Interesting. So verbal tongue lashings, whether it comes from a, a parent, an employee, or, or a peer, actually does create some type of scarring on the brain, according to researchers. And this scarring is what they say is, the, is underdeveloped connections between the left and the right side of the brain through massive bundles of connecting fibers called corpus callosum. Corpus callosum. So there, there's a, a, a disconnect there between the right and the left side of the brain when a child is subject to peer um, ridicule, disdain, and even lives in an environment in the home that is verbally and, and yes, even physically abusive. Uh, so this is, uh, so the, the permanent damage can be done. But the grace of God can heal. Because I know in an audience in a congregation like this, there are some who've, who may have grown up in that environment or may have gone to a school where you were given, uh, you were ridiculed, you were name-called. Imagine having a last name, Buttery. Don't worry, I've heard them all. <laughs> um, we, we've, all, we've all, some of us, we've all been ridiculed to some extent, but some of us more so. And it's left its, left its, it's, left its mark. But thank God that Jesus is the balm of Gilead. He heals. He can heal our minds and, uh, and heal the trauma and help us. So we ought to be careful with our words, how we use them. Proverbs 18 tells us how uh, about words, both good and bad. Let's read a few here. We're in Proverbs 18. Uh, let's look at verse 20. Someone's got verse 21. Mike's got that right down here. Uh, Proverbs 8 verse 2. Notice what it says. It says, A fool has no delight in understanding, but in doing what? Expressing his own heart. Now, it doesn't matter what's going to come out of my mouth. It doesn't matter what, whether you're going to take it well or not. It doesn't matter whether it's going to hurt you or not. I'm just going to tell you what's on my mind. And there it is. A fool has no delight in understanding, but in expressing his own heart. Uh, verse 4. The words of a man's mouth are what? Deep waters, the wellspring of wisdom is a flowing brook. You can compare that with James 3.17, which talks about wisdom and how it's peaceable and righteous. Some, some people's words are shallow. They have no, no effect, no meaning. But the, the wise words' mouths come from deep waters, deep wells, because they've contemplated, they've thought about the effects of words their words have on others. Look at verse 6. A fool's lips enter into what? Contention. His mouth calls for what? Blows. You know, when I read that, I thought of a boxing match. Hit him! Hit him hard! To the left! To the And the, these wrestling matches, I mean, not, not the false ones, but these real ones in these cages. Oh, man, man, vicious. Words that call for blows. A fool's lips enter into contention. People, there are some folk who like to argue, love to, love to create strife and stir strife. Verse 13, He who answers a matter before he hears it it is folly and shame to him. 
You ever get in a conversation with somebody and they cut you off? Oh, yeah, 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 I know what you're talking about, yeah. And they've drawn the complete, that's not what I was saying. I wasn't saying that. And they cut you off and they think they know what you've said before you get to that. Sometimes I've done that, I'm guilty of that. I'm sure maybe some here have been guilty of that as well. I hope I'm not the only one. But uh, God is helping me, hopefully help each of us. Uh, Verse 21, Mike. Proverbs 18, verse 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. This is a call to think before we speak. Isn't that right? Here's a a good test. Um, Just take the word THINK and use it as an acronym, okay? Take the word THINK and use it as an acronym. T, ask yourself the question, is what I'm about to say true? THINK. T, is it true? The H in THINK, is it helpful? The I in THINK, is it inspiring? N in THINK, is it necessary? The K in THINK, is it kind? So if what I'm about to say doesn't pass those tests, I don't say it. Did your dad ever tell you, if you've got nothing nice to say about someone, don't say it at all? How come dads say that? I don't know, dads, my dad said it, I'm sure your dad did too. And they didn't know each other. Think before you speak. If you've got nothing good to say, don't say it at all. So the, the wise man, the book of Proverbs, God is encouraging us to think before we speak, contemplate the effects of our words. Let's go to Wednesday, two sides of a story. Uh, Just like there are two sides of a coin, typically there are two sides of a story, usually there are, Um, but that's not what we're focused on, especially if uh, we're the one that's in the middle of that heated argument, because your story, my story, is the right side of the story. It's the only version of the story. (laughs) Uh, Probably not. Not if the rational part of our brain has skipped and the emotional part of our brain is left in charge. If that happens, sometimes we're like an unsupervised three-year-old. Just it gets things get out of control. Things get out of hand pretty quickly. I want, to, want you to hear two sides of a story here and uh, tell me who's in the, in the uh, right. This is uh, coming from the wife. She says, my husband is so controlling. Things have to be done his way. Half the time he doesn't even know what he's talking about. Yet he acts as if he knows it all and I know nothing. I tell him how selfish he is. He doesn't even refute me anymore. He just dismisses what I say and goes about doing his thing, even if I expressly ask him not to. (laughs) So it sounds like the guy has some growing up to do, right? What century is he living in? Doesn't he know he's undermining his wife? (laughs) Listen to the other side of the story. This is the husband speaking. My wife is forever telling me what to do. She reads an article talks with her friends, watches Oprah, and that makes her an expert. She treats me like I'm an idiot who knows nothing. I know I can't win an argument, so I just stay quiet and do as I please. She thinks I'm controlling, but she's the one who can't tolerate anything that isn't done the right way, which happens to be her way. (laughs) Sounds like now the woman has some problems, right? Who put her in charge of the universe? Doesn't she understand she's emasculating her man? you listen to the other side of the story, when it's not your story, your perspective readily changes. But that's harder to do when the story is yours. And it's practically impossible to do when your emotions are electrified. So uh, here's just a few tips for us as we, uh, as we try to get to Thursday's lesson. Number one, calm down. 
If, if you're in the middle of that discussion, first of all, do, do, the, do the right thing, calm down. If you're steaming, mad or deeply hurt, you won't be able to uh, see the other person's perspective. You won't care to see the other person's perspective. Don't be the person in verse 2 who just wants to express his, what's on their mind. Number two, take time to pray. Remember Proverbs chapter 18, verse 17. Notice what it says. The first one to plead his cause seems right until his neighbor comes and examines him. There are two sides of the story. Take time to pray. Then when you're ready, see if you can listen non-defensively. Own up to things that you know were irksome. Squash your yes, but comebacks. Concede on a point or two. Stop repeating your story. Soften your position. Recognize some merit in your partner's viewpoint. Well, I understand how you see it that way. And then maybe sprinkle in some humor. So that's, that's one, another suggestion. Then just attempt to understand each other. Aim to develop a workable resolution. Pray it through together. We go to Thursday, and we have to do this in one minute. I'm sorry, but be truthful. Proverbs 19 presents some thoughts about lying. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Uh, verse, let's look at verse 1 and a couple of verses here. Always be truthful. Jesus is the truth. And if Jesus is living in our hearts, will what we say be truthful? It ought to be, because Jesus spoke the truth, didn't he? Proverbs chapter 19, verse 1, Better is the poor who walks in his integrity than one who is perverse in his lips and is a fool. Verse 5, uh, a false witness will not go unpunished. Verse 9, <clears throat> a false witness will not go unpunished. He, will, he who speaks lies shall perish. One place you don't want to be telling an untruth is, if, is under oath. Uh, perjury will get you many years in prison. And then verse 22 uh, what is desired is in a man is kindness. A poor man is better than a liar. Wow. All right, so what do they say? What do these verses tell us about lying? <laughs> it's better to be poor. It's better even to lose a promotion than to lie and lose your integrity. It's always better to tell the truth. Abraham Lincoln said, no man has a good enough memory to make him a successful liar. Uh, God's people will be about telling the truth, speaking the truth. Now, there's, there's always a time and there's always a place. And sometimes a person may not be ready to hear the truth. And so you temper that with the situation that you're dealing with. Um, sometimes you may be put in a position where you, uh, putting, telling the truth might put you or someone else's life at risk. In that case, follow the counsel of the Scriptures. Be wise as a serpent and harmless as a dove. You don't need to lie to wiggle out of problems, but you can be wise and God will help us and help you uh, be wise in dealing with those predicaments when you face them. So human relationships are really, the success of human relationships are built on words, what we say, how we deal with one another. The words we speak to one another reveal how healthy a relationship we have with each other. Angry words, contention, lies indicate that a relationship is broken. But gracious words of truth and encouragement they indicate a relationship is growing. May God help us with our words, help us to be truthful and honest, help us to be wise, help us to be kind, and help us to be thoughtful of the other person's feelings by His grace, only by His grace. Amen. It was a good study. Thank you for, uh, for, for being here and, 
and uh, enjoying the study with me. And those who've been tuning in, thank you that uh, you tuned in as well. Glad uh, you joined us. Hope you enjoyed the study as much as we did. Um, Don't forget to call in for your free offer. It's 21507, the number and the email address are on your screen. So please call in or write in. And we certainly look forward to seeing you next time.